You're listening to the Broken Meeple Podcast, recorded on 29th of March, 2020. The Broken Meeple Podcast, a show devoted to board games, card games, and the people who play them. Sit back and enjoy, and remember, it's only a game. everyone hope you're surviving out there during this uh, coronavirus issue shall we say uh, a bit more of an issue i guess but yeah it's gone mad hasn't it you know everywhere just shut down lockdown in multiple countries people getting sick you know fatalities and all that it is pretty insane now and at first i thought this was just gonna blow over within like a few weeks when it all started in china and then now it's just a worldwide major pandemic issue so yeah, shows what I know about this sort of thing. But yeah, we're in lockdown on the UK, so you know, most things are shut, but sadly because I'm an accountant, it means I can't escape work like a lot of people. So, uh, you know, I have to work from home, so that makes my weekdays very monotonous and boring because I basically have to get up, sit at a laptop for seven and a half hours, and then find stuff to do in the evening when there's not a lot to go out and do. Granted, yes, I've got board games here and I've got video games and that, and that's keeping me entertained as well as doing stuff on the blog, but just lonely. You know, it's, I get to play a few games on Tabletopia and Board Game Arena with some mates now and again, and I probably should do that maybe more often with just people out there, you know, randoms on the internet, but it only does so much. I need that communication with other people. I need the social interaction. I need the gym. You know, I'm worried I'm going to put on weight during this lockdown. You know, I might be able to eat less, but I can't do any exercise apart from going out on hill walks locally or, you know, walking or doing, going for a jog, you know, around the block. That's all I can do. I don't have any kettlebells, I don't have any dumbbell weights or anything, so there's only so much I can do for muscle building. It's just, ah, I need my life back. <laughs> I need that life back, that social time, but, oh well, you know, first world problems. Everybody else has probably got it worse in some respects, especially if you've got kids and you've got to obviously entertain them day in, day out, when normally childcare and school would take care of a lot of that for you. So, yeah, I'm just trying to make ends meet, really, and just survive, you know, just survive sanity-wise. Physically, I'm fine. You know, I get the occasional headache from lack of sleep or anything like that, but for the most part, uh, physically, I'm fine. It's just mentally. (laughs) I just wish I could get out and see more people. So, you know, the blog keeps me a bit occupied. I am trying to do more stuff with it. So, you know, this podcast episode, a top 10 has literally just gone up as I record this. And I've got two more reviews coming, which are community requested. That is Dale of Merchants and Kanban. And this will be the original Kanban, not the Kanban EV on Tabletopia. But, uh, you know, I feel like you, it's still valid to review the game. Because for apart from cosmetics, the new game is pretty much the same. But you will have already seen a couple of other reviews come up. And I am working on the shelf-by-shelf review of my collection that is coming. I have bought a new lighting rig set up uh, where I can basically do videos with my mobile phone rather than my DLSLR camera because I'm kind of restricted on what lens I have. But test runs have not proved particularly great from an audio perspective. Trying to use a Lavalier uh, Lavalier mic and stuff like that, it didn't go too well. What I need is a little twin bracket to go on my uh, lighting rig, which allows me to also not not only just put up my phone, but also put up the shotgun mic that I use for my videos, which is far better audio quality. So I'm waiting for that to come in. So when that does, I should be able to get some more of those videos out. 
tune them out relatively quickly, and you will get that. So sorry that it hasn't come quite as soon as I hoped, but it is on the way. I am working on it. It's going to happen. So if I can't do that, well then, like I say, you've got two more reviews, you've got this podcast, I'll do more podcasts, I'll even do another top 10 at some point soon. I will find a way to get some video content out there, despite the fact that review copies have now just basically dried up. You know, I do have Alibari, but I can't get it played, and, you know, Wolf Designer have asked me to review a prototype of, uh, what's it called, um, Guards of Atlantis 2, but without anybody to play it with, I'm kind of restricted to just the Tabletopia version, and I haven't got round to reading the rules and stuff like that for it yet, so God knows what I'm going to do with that. But we'll just have to see. So yeah, could be better in this household, but, you know, that's just the way it is at the moment. Life has just gone completely topsy-turvy. So in terms of this episode, there's quite a bit in it, actually. I've got a couple of games I just want to talk about briefly that I've played recently. Um, I also want to... uh, put together a new couple of new segments this episode so firstly uh, is a segment i call the movers and the shakers this is where if a game rises in ranking or lowers in its sorry in rating or lowers in rating over time i talk about why so games that i've sold from the collection recently you know that could be a factor but then even a game that i rated at one point and then thought yeah actually this is better now this is getting better and better i want to talk about why that is And then later on is another segment, which I was thinking about doing for a while, but the community have asked, and I've had a couple of actual specific requests from people, who have asked me to talk about my favourite game mechanics, why I like them, and what games best suit that mechanic. So that'll be easier to do on a podcast, I think, than doing it as a video series, really. And like I say, I need more stuff for this podcast. So impressions, let's quickly talk about Silver and Gold. This is a very cheap roll and write that, well, flip and write, I guess, it's cards, not dice, that I bought when I was on my way home from Aircon, and I thought, well, let's give it a try. It's hard to find in the UK. It was cheap. I'll give it a shot. Portable, quick, why not? Tried it. It's okay. It's... I like the gimmick in it that it's like dry erase cards. That's cool. The fact that you write on the cards, you cross off spaces, and then you just wipe them all off when you're done. That's neat. Like it. It is definitely easy to play. It is definitely super fast. It is like 20 minutes, 25 minutes tops, and you're done, even with max player count. So it's got a lot going for it. But it's just like every other roll and write. It's the same thing. You base. I mean, it's basically cartographers. It's basically my first cartographer. Because Cartographers has you flipping a card, drawing a pattern on a map, and then trying to score in various ways. This one takes out that scoring aspect, because all you do is just finish the card and score, and then there's a couple of other minor opportunities. And you basically just flip a card, draw a pattern. Flip a card, draw a pattern. Flip a card, draw a pattern. All the time. That's all it is. It's no different from most other roll and writes out there. And that's the problem with this genre in general. It's just so run out of ideas. You know, it started off with, oh, this is neat, this is neat, and now everyone's trying to do it, and it's just finished. I'm sorry, this genre needs to stop. It needs to not, like, die a horrible death or anything, but it just needs to slow down and stop releasing these games. I feel that that's kind of happened recently. I haven't heard of many roll and writes in the near future, but it's just like every other roll and write. It's fine. It's quick. If you like roll and writes, I don't see why you wouldn't like it, but for me, I'm just like... I've got cartog- I had cartographers for a bit, sold that. This one is just mini cartographers. 
don't really see a major need for it. So I can't see it sitting in my collection for very long, but it was cheap, I thought I'd try it. If you like Roland Wrights, I suspect you will like this one, but personally it's just meh. And then next up I want to talk about a game called Runestones. This is from Queen Games and I don't have any other Queen Games in my collection. I think I had Amerigo at one point and that was like the only Stefan Feld game I even remotely enjoyed. And probably would still enjoy now but I just couldn't be bothered to keep it. And Runestones is another one where I'm thinking, hmm, am I going to keep this one or not? But the premise sounds cool, let's give it a shot. It's a light deck building game where you're basically just collecting gems, using them to, using them to build colour artefacts, set collection, get points. Very straightforward game, but it's got some interesting quirks to it. Firstly, it's, it's a deck builder where the cards that you get... You know, you, you, yes, the cards go into your discard pile and you shuffle through them, but your deck's usually pretty small, so it doesn't take long for the cards to come back round. But also, with this, you can determine, oh, I want to hang on to this card, I don't want to discard it, which is a nice little, nice little thing. But a lot of it comes down to the playing of the cards. It's semi-multi-use in the sense that the card will either generate you magic points of which you need the same colour in order to be able to buy lots of other cards, but they also have special ability powers, which are pretty straightforward. It's mainly get you points, get you different color gems, convert gems, whatever. But the cool thing with this is that they're all numbered. You start off with a starter deck of high-numbered cards, and then the creatures all vary. But when you play cards, you play two of them, and the lower card goes back in your discard pile. The higher card goes out of the game, or in the, the creature discard pile. So it's like, oh, okay, that's interesting. So now... As you, you can basically trash your druid cards at the start, which are the basic starter ones, because they're usually high number. But then with the creature cards, you might be like, oh, I want that ability, but I don't want to lose the card, so maybe I should play this one with it so that I can keep this card. And it's not the most brain-burning decision ever, but it's just a nice little twist. The rest of the game is pretty standard, you know, fairly generic. I mean, the game's pretty much got no theme whatsoever. And, but you do get some other cool things that you can do with these uh, rune stones that you collect, where every time you trade in a set, you get a certain amount of points for how big the set is, but you also get to take a rune stone, which is basically a special ability you get for the rest of the game. So do you ignore the rune stones and just go for giant sets and get the points, or do you trade sets in really quickly, get the rune stones, and then build up again? You know, how long will that take you? It's a nice little twist of how deck building can work. It is very straightforward. The rules are dirt simple. If you've played any deck builder game, you'll instantly get into this. And I just thought it was nice and light. If I do have a problem with it, other than the fact that it's completely themeless, is that, oh, and it does look really pretty on the board, the problem I have is that it does outstay its welcome a bit with more players. I found that with four players, the game kind of dragged on a bit. Like, come on, I feel like we should have got to 65 points by now. We should be finishing this. I think this is one that I would prefer to play as a three-player max. I can see it working great as a two-player. Doesn't have a solo mode, unfortunately, but I would like to see a solo mode for this because I'd be game for that. So I'm going to hang on to this one for a bit, play it every now and again, but uh, yeah, it's nice to have Queen Games finally back in the collection, and I think if you're a fan of deck builders like I am, then this one should actually do you well, because it is a pure deck builder, not just a game where deck building is thrown in for good measure. So, Runestones from Queen, if you like that genre and you want something light, give it a shot.
So, some movers and shakers. Yeah, what's been changing in my collection lately? Well, let's start on a positive note. So, Detective Club. I gave this a 9 when I rated it, so there's only one spot it can move to. Yeah, it, it's now a 10 out of 10 for me. This one I've been playing as often as I can, whether at game nights or, you know, conventions, that sort of thing, and I'm just, I'm just adoring it more and more. This is essentially Dixit with Spyfall. So you've got the Spyfall thing of one person doesn't know what the others know and you're trying to root them out, but you're doing it with Dixit cards. So you put these, somebody comes up with a clue, the cards come down, the spy has to try and figure out what the actual clue word is, or at least put cards out resembling sort of what it is and then when the clue is revealed everybody basically has to like convince everybody else why their cards match the clue word but it's dixit cards easier said than done you know even people who knew what the clue word was don't always have the cards to match so it creates a doubt automatically but even then depending on how good the clue word is they because the clue giver has to hope that the spy succeeds their incentive is not to make the clue so obvious that the spy has no chance of hiding if anyone else knew it. And what makes this so hilarious is the, the excuses people come up with as to why cards work and don't. With everyone trash-talking their opinions, the voting coming out, everyone being as nasty as anything. Not in a mean way, but just like, you know, dude, you're talking rubbish. There's no way that works. Come on, you are you trying to fool here? It's that sort of thing. But the rules are simple, the game is, it can take a bit while with more players. You know, with a lot of players it does take a while to go through it, but you can play once through or twice through, whatever you want to do. But it's so much fun. I mean, the scoring is incidental. Yes, you do score and there is a winner, but I couldn't care less. It's just so funny. <laughs> I love this game. And the main reason I didn't give it a 10 before was because it's very group dependent. Those that are quite shy, those that are um, not interested in just having a laugh, probably won't get into this as much as me. But I have to about raise my opinion to a 10 because that is the only niggle I have with this game. And I feel that's a player issue, not a game issue. So with this, I, play, I just love it. If you like the Dixit style games and if Spyfall was good fun for you, there is no reason for you not to try this game. If you didn't like Spyfall because you thought it was a bit hard on the spy... I'd say give this one a try as well because it's a bit easier on the spy because of the doubt that can be created from the players who know what the clue word is. But, oh, it's just so good. The, the tension that you have if you are the spy trying to essentially bluff your way through by giving a palatable reason why your cards match. But then just listening to everybody else who didn't have the cards that helped trying to come up with these lame excuses as to why the cards fit. Even though they're innocent, but trying to convince everyone else. And then the spy rides on that self-doubt. Oh, it's so good, this game. If you get a chance to get it, it's not the most easy to find. It's not as well heard of as some others. But I guarantee you, you like this type of game. This is hilarious. Get it. Ugh. Let's go back to negative. <laughs> yes. <laughs> There's always a negative with these things. Movers and the shakers. Well, here's a shaker. It's out of the collection entirely. And that is Paladins of the West Kingdom. This I gave an 8. I feel that was a bit generous. I feel it probably should have got a 7 overall. I think I gave it an 8. I don't know, I can't remember, but I feel like it's a 7 overall, and even then, I'm actually starting to feel like it probably is a 6 for me, because it's quickly lost its appeal. Yes, it looks nice on the table. Yes, it's meaty and thinky. 
but it's so bone dry. There's just no ounce of theme in this game. It is just basically, you know, do an action, put a piece on the board, get some points. That's it. You can collect these apprentices, you know, the, the villagers to do give you bonuses. They're pretty generic. You can grab the, uh, like, kill off the invaders and that. Their scoring things are pretty much the same across the board. It's just what they key off, you know. It's like, this one keys off the yellow dudes and this one keys off the blue dudes. It's all oh, whoopee-doo. And it just, and even then, the pass to victory. There's only three paths to victory. And I'm not joking. You, people think, oh, you've got all these different options that you can do. Um, think about it. If you want to do well, you have to get your actions in a kind of seesaw motion, where the benefit you get from the first action fuels the second action you want to do. If you don't do that, then you will lose this game. Which means you can't just pick two random routes to go for or anything, or just play randomly. No, you've got to focus on two things that synergize with each other. But there's only three examples of that where the two paths do synergize with each other. You know, if you decide I'm going to, you know, do the, whatever they are, the urns at the bottom, but then also say I'm going to build walls or whatever, it's like, well, good luck with that, because I don't, well, this is an example, but like I say, if the colours don't match, it doesn't matter. So, it's, it takes far too long to play, it's like a good two and a bit hours, at least two and a half hours to play, with four players, it just drags, this is really just a two-player game. Solo was okay, but not enough. Personally, Architects of the West Kingdom is so much better, and I'm hoping that Viscounts of the West Kingdom will bring back a bit closer to what I love about Architects, but who knows? It's hard to say, but yeah, Paladin's just... It, I just had to get rid of it after a while, because I just thought, I'm never going to play this. There's so many other heavier, like, so many like heavy, more thematic games I'd rather play. It was a nightmare to store it, because it barely fits in its original box, and I just felt, yeah... This isn't as interesting as I would... I mean, if I just want a bare-bones, dry point salad, I'd rather play Pulsar 2849 because I think that gives me more variety and is easier to get to the table and play. Whereas this one just felt like it was just too long for what it was, and as much as I enjoyed it all right at first, it quickly just sort of lost its, you know, lost its appeal. And now I'll play it if it's suggested, but otherwise I'll probably just avoid it now. So, yeah, you know, one up, one down, but... That's my feelings over time. So after that new segment, let's go on with another one. Although this one is going to be a bit more of a repeated long one anyway. This is like the focus of this episode. Favourite mechanics. Basically, I talk about, oh, I like these mechanics, and I don't like these mechanics, and things like that. But what I don't usually do is give examples of where these mechanics feature, but also explain too much more about why I like these mechanics. So this segment hopefully will allow me to dive into some and talk about them in a bit more detail and just give my viewpoints, but also suggest a few games with each mechanic so that if, like me, you agree on why you like these, this might give you some, in, you know, some insight into other games you could try out to see what this mechanic is like. So we're going to start with possibly my favourite mechanic ever. This is my favourite, I swear this is probably my favourite mechanic in games, multi-use cards. So what am I on about with this? Well, it's where you have a hand of cards and the card itself has multiple uses for what it can be done. Yeah, I know that's kind of like teaching your grandmother to suck eggs, but that's kind of what the gist is. So you might have a card that could be used to buy other cards, it could be used for a special ability, or you could discard it to trigger some other effect. So three uses for a single card. 
so that you're constantly with this hand of cards having to debate what you want to use each card for and that amount of options and choice gives you some great tactical combo play opportunities in a lot of games and I just love the idea that you can get so much option out of one component. You know, one card can give you three different things to do with it and you've got to decide what's the best thing to do with it and you might have a hand of five cards so you've got all sorts of different combinations that you can do and I just feel that as long as the options that you have are different, I really like the way that works. So, yeah, I see this in a lot of games and a lot of games have multi-use with two options. Two options is fine, I'm cool with that. If you can make it free, fantastic. Four or more is probably stretching the mark a bit. I mean, there's only so many options you need with each card. And to be honest, I can't think of an example where there is one where a card can be used for four different options. I'm not aware of one. Most of the ones that I know of are two and three. And, you know, I can't think of... Actually, no, I can think of some games with multi-use cards that I'm not a fan of. But, uh, you know, it doesn't mean that just because you shove this mechanic in a game, I'm going to love it. But uh, it does mean that it's certainly going to get me interested to try the game out. So in terms of favourites, well, deck builders, as I mentioned with runestones, tend to come up quite frequently with multi-use cards because, well, you have a hand of cards. I already mentioned runestones earlier. That's one example because you could use it to buy cards or you can discard it to use its ability. That's about all you can do with the card, so it's not as multi-use as you can be, but it does the trick. The best example I have at the moment is probably from a deck builder perspective. The two best examples I know of are Dale of Merchants and Valley of the Kings. These are two of probably my two favorite deck builders of all time at the moment. And with Valley of the Kings, you have a free uses for a card. You either play it for its ability, you use it to buy cards, or you entomb it because you have to get cards into your tomb in order to score points as set collection. If they're in your deck, they don't score diddly squat. So you have to think about when's the best time to entomb a card. But do you do it early? Do you rely on other card effects to do your entombing? How long do you wait before the game starts ramping up and snowballing? Do you think, oh yeah, I actually do need to start scoring some points here. But it's a cool thing. I mean, for the most part, in Valley of the Kings, you do have only two uses for the card. But that third entomb use is not to be underestimated. But again, one reason I love that game, so many options. Dare the Merchants is similar. You have the ability to use the card for buying other cards. You have the opportunity to use it for its ability if it's got a technique power. But then you also need the cards to build stacks. And the stacks are how you win in Dale of Merchants. You build stacks like one stack, two stack, three stack, four stack. And you need cards of the same faction. And they need to add up to the value of the stack. So a stack for free needs to add up to free. But... That's the thing. How long do you keep these cards in your deck before you're going to sacrifice them to actually getting you to win the game and taking them out of your deck forever? Again, multi-use, mostly two uses, but that third use is not to be underestimated either. So I like it with deck builders do this. I'm just trying to see if there's any other deck builders that have a similar thing. Not really. I mean, Dominion doesn't count because you pretty much use it for its ability or money. It doesn't tend to give you both. Just trying to think to the top of my head, are there any other deck builders that are like this? I suppose there are a few around. Uh, legendary Encounters uh, use it for its ability or to buy cards, I think. Uh, yeah, there is that, but there's only so many uses you can get out of a card in the Legendary game. So those two I mentioned, Valley of the Kings, Runestones, and... Uh, well, three things, yeah. Valley of the Kings, Valley of the Kings Runestones, 
and Dale of Merchants would certainly be my deck builders of choice. But it's not just deck builders that can benefit from this mechanic. Now, deck builders can have more uses for a card, I feel, than most other games. Most other games will only be able to give you two uses. Two uses is still better than nothing, though. San Juan comes to mind because, yes, you can argue that the card being used as a resource doesn't really count because it's not like you have to decide which card you're using as the resource. It just comes straight off the deck. But your hand size is your currency and you need the buildings. So there is that tough choice of, well, I need to buy this building, but I need four cards. I've only got five in my hand. Do I really want to get rid of that building? I wanted to build that later. So how important is this building versus this one? San Juan does that to a pretty good extent, and that's meant to be quite a simple game, so two uses per card is decent enough. Yes, you know, you can put cards on top and below other cards, but as I say, most of the time it comes off the deck, so that doesn't really count. Uh, Raiders of the North Sea has a little bit of that in it, where the card that you have for crew members can either be someone on your crew, or you can discard the card to get a slightly lesser ability, but with that one, you don't tend to do a lot of the discard abilities. You tend mainly to stick it on your crew, but the option is there, so it's not like I can disregard it entirely. Thinking of a game that's a little bit more heavy, I would consider Maracaibo, actually. Yes, okay, I give Alexander Fister a lot of stick because I'm not a huge fan of a lot of his heavier games, but I like his lighter stuff, for the most part. But Maracaibo is probably his heaviest game that I do enjoy, that still sits in my collection despite the fact those brown discs get on my wick. But that one is definitely a multi-use card game. You know, the, the cards that you go through like crazy, you, know, you either play it in front of you to have its cool ability and, you know, count for certain objectives, but then you've got to discard it potentially for doing quests, you have to discard it potentially for trading with cities, and those three things, you know, so three decent uses for a card do come back constantly in that game because you are cycling through cards constantly to like draw more cards, play these, discard them, draw more cards. I mean, you're going through the deck so fast that you will see other cards, but you've still got that horrible decision of, oh, I don't want to get rid of that for a symbol. I want to play it. And I need this for this and I need that for that. And I've only got a hand size of four. I need to get a bigger hand size. You know, it just cool decisions like that. And that's from a heavy Euro game. So most of the ones I mentioned before are, relatively light, you know, light-ish, you know, bordering medium weight barely, but probably not. This is definitely the heaviest example I can think of from an enjoyable perspective, where it certainly does have multi-use cards that need to be considered. Sticking with heavy games, uh, Sabrebia could be argued has some multi-use card, although that's really only two uses, and it's only sort of different, really. I mean, you, you either play the emotion cards or you discard them for the symbols so that you can upgrade your skills, but that's kind of the extent to how that works. Uh, Lisboa is a multi-use card game, that's certainly for the heavier mark, because you've got the treasury cards and the, like, politician cards or whatever they're called, you know, the advisor cards, and depending on, you know, where you play them, you know, whether you play them directly on the board or in your tableau triggers, whether you can do certain abilities and certain actions, so that one's probably a good example of a heavy one. You don't, like, get tons of uses out of a specific card, but because Lisboa has a lot of moving parts and a lot of things to consider, the fact that each card has potentially two uses for it does mean that it is quite brain-burny to try and decide which of the two choices you really want, because they take quite a bit of thought to do. 
going to something a little bit more simpler. You could argue that some drafting games have also made good use of this, uh, even if the card itself is not the direct cause of the option, if that makes sense. Seven Wonders is what I'm thinking of here, and with Seven Wonders, you usually have a chance with a card to play it, discard it for money, or play it into your wonder as a new stage. So granted, the money is a generic thing you do with it, although you could argue that's the same with Entombing and Valley of the Kings, I guess. But then also building a stage of your wonder is dependent on what wonder stage you have, and that works with every single card, not just simply that one. But I don't know, I think that still counts. You've got two to three you know, potential decent options for a card, although you probably won't discard it for money as often as you would want to, because obviously if you're doing that, you're kind of wasting the card. So, you know, that does a pretty good job as well. And finally, it's just come to mind, how can I forget this? One of the ones I've been bawling about loads lately, Empires of the Void 2. Empires of the Void 2 has a power card deck, which runs as the timer for the game, and you draw these cards and can do various things with them. There's usually multiple things you can do with them, though. Now, granted, it depends on the card itself. That's the only thing. I mean, I would say this probably only gives two uses per card. Actually, I suppose three, it's kind of hard. Um, Try to describe. Basically, you've got three different types of cards. So you've got mission cards, delivery cards, and the normal ability cards. That's not what I'm getting at. That's just a different type of card. But what can you do with a single card? Well, firstly, they have the power rating on them. So they can be used in combat. You also have the ability or the special effect that the card does. So that's the primary use of a power card outside of combat. So there's two uses. But there's also a, an, a diplomacy action where you discard certain cards in your hand and with those cards, you know, you total up the value and you try and roll underneath it and that's what allows you to do a diplomatic maneuver. So you can argue that that's technically a third use for the card. You've got one for its ability, two for its combat value, and three for discard depending on what you're discarding it for because you will either discard it for diplomacy or discard it to build a new tech or, you know, or discard it for various other means. So there's there's more than one reason why you might discard a particular card, but you have to consider, do I need this card? Is it just used for its value? Is it one that I can throw away? Because you can't voluntarily discard cards. You have to find a way to get them out of your hand. So discard becomes a valid choice for cards if you don't want to use it for its ability. But you'll hang on to a a card thinking, oh, that's, a level, that's a four level card, I could use that in combat and really swing the battle here, or do it as a cool diplomatic maneuver, but then you'll also look at a card and think, I'm not in the position to use that ability, but I will be, <laughs> I will be soon, <laughs> it will be pretty cool when it does happen, so yeah, yeah, I think Emperors of the Void 2 works with that one, if you want a space game, you know, this is my favourite space game out there, with the whole thematic sense of exploring other planets and uh, allying with new races and stuff, you want that kind of feel and you like a bit of multi-use card system in there, then the power deck does work pretty well. So, that's quite a lot of examples there, and I'm sure there are others that either have just escaped my mind, or that you can think of that maybe aren't in my collection, you know, Pretty much, I think every single one of those games is in my collection, so they are ones that I highly recommend. But that's, I'm sure there's other examples out there, and I'm sure people can make their suggestions to others or leave them in comments, etc., to you know give more of an idea. In fact, in, in, yeah, to be honest, if you do have some favorite multi use card games that I haven't mentioned, then by all means, stick them in the comments and let other people know because I think this will be quite a useful aid to others. So yeah, 
there we go. That's this podcast episode done. I feel that's got quite a bit of content out there, even if it was slightly fast. But, you know, this now gives me more stuff that I can go with. So, you know, there's going to be more questions in the mailbag to try and answer at some point soon. I think I've only got, like, one or two at the moment at the moment. And I just want to kind of uh, just get a few more before I do another Q&A. Plus, I don't want a Q&A to be in every single episode, if I can help it, because, you know, that would get repetitive. But, you know, next episode, I'll try and answer some more questions. I'll see if there's any more movers and shakers that I can talk about. I'll do another mechanic, perhaps. So I'll leave it to myself to decide what I'm going to do in that one. Uh, first impressions is probably going to be a bit tricky because there won't be that many new games I can play. But maybe I can talk about my experiences on Tabletopia or Board Game Arena or something because, let's face it, uh, we're having to find other ways to play games at the moment and uh, there's only so many ways you can do it. So we'll see. But anyways, hope you've enjoyed this podcast episode. I'm going to sign off and get on with my day, whatever the rest of that day is going to be, after editing this, I guess. <laughs> but as for the rest of the content, by all means, check out my new top 10 middleweight games uh, list, where I talk about games that I don't consider to be light or heavy. They're more in the middle, and I feel that people have very skewed impressions over what a medium weight game is, so hopefully I've done a good job of coming up with 10 myself. But yeah. By all means, check out the content, subscribe on Patreon if you can, a dollar a month is all it takes, you know, and you wouldn't even notice it, but it goes a long way to enabling me to do things like buy my rig that I talked about earlier to, you know, sort out the shelf-by-shelf -shelf videos and that, it's all greatly appreciated, but even if you can't do that, then just check out the other content, share it on Facebook, share it on Twitter, put it in Facebook groups, just say, you know, Luke's done a video on this and I feel this is quite cool or something. Or if somebody mentions a topic and they go, oh, Luke did the top 10 on this, you know, give it a look. You know, stuff like that. It all goes a long way to keeping the channel moving, keeping it, you know, get the popularity out there. A lot of people still don't even know I do a podcast. I think I need to share this one a little bit better somehow, but I don't quite know how apart from just planting it on Facebook groups. We'll have to see. Anyway, I'm off. Take care. And remember, as always, it's only a game. Enjoy your isolation and, uh, you know, best of luck, stay safe, all the best. Thank you all for listening to my content and I hope it was enjoyable for you. If you want to catch me at other sources, then there's plenty to choose from. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and YouTube. You can find me at all of these places. Just search for The Broken Meeple on Facebook and you will find me. Same for Instagram. On Twitter, you can catch me at The Broken Meeple. On YouTube, just search for The Broken Meeple and you will find my channel full of videos about top 10s, reviews, solo walkthroughs, and all sorts of other things besides. Of course, you can subscribe to this podcast via the RSS feed on soundcloud.com. This is where episodes will be posted in the future as well as audio-only feeds on YouTube. The Broken Meeple is a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. As always, remember my motto, it's only a game.